Welcome to episode 48 of the Zay Coleman Podcast. So today we'll be discussing Clay Thompson's first few games back. Trades that I think will happen, should happen, and won't happen because of specific players. And we'll go through my own personal sorrow because the Detroit Pistons have fumbled back yet again. So with the first thing that we'll be talking about for the podcast today, and it's a pretty topical conversation, Clay Thompson is back. Great. He's he's been, again, great for somebody that hasn't played in two years, coming off of two major injuries. He has been great in the minutes that he's been given, but it still isn't the answer. And obviously, there's one specific reason why it's not the answer, and it's because Draymond Green isn't back. Obviously, he quote unquote started the game against uh, Cleveland. He missed the last couple, the Memphis game, and of course, he missed um, the Bucks game. And his he was definitely needed in the Bucks game. Of course, I only watched like the first two and a half quarters because it's like a forty point game. I didn't really care, but it was clear as day why Draymond Green is so important to this Warriors team. If you're in if we're in the 20 year 2022 and you still don't understand the impact that Draymond Green has on this basketball team, you are not worth talking to at this point. Because Draymond Green, even though you only see the box score and he'll have seven, eight, and seven, but I promise you the dude is the probably the best leader outside of LeBron James, of course, the best leader in basketball, easily one of the high higher IQ guys in the league. And will always he always, he's going to be a Hall of Famer putting up these type of numbers. You might not believe he's a Hall of Famer because he doesn't do the flashy plays and because he doesn't, you know, do three sixty windmills or ankle breakers all day or he's shooting step back threes from half court. No, Draymond Green is a Hall of Famer because he makes the winning plays, not the flashy plays. It has always been he makes the winning plays. He is the direct the direct reason. Besides Steph Curry, of course. Steph Curry is still putting up his numbers. He's the direct reason that this team is the way it is. Because he makes everything easier for a guy like Wiggins, easier for a guy like Kevon Looney, who doesn't take many shots, and easier for a guy like Gary Payton II, who is still pretty raw offensively. A guy like Jordan Poole, who, you know, he needs a space to record. He, he needs to get open to, you know, create a shot. He's that guy. He's the one that sets the screens. He's the one that makes the... The, not the hockey assist, as they call it, you know, not the main assist, but the assist to get the assist for other guys. He knows exactly where everybody should be on the, at the, what specific spot on the floor just to, for the Warriors to get one bucket. The Warriors are one of the top scoring teams in the league because Draymond Green is that facilitator on the offensive end, and they're one of the best defensive teams in the league because he's that, he's that intelligent on the defensive end. Not even just with skill and, you know, moving laterally to guard point guards and centers, but he knows where to, you know, to stay in the lane, maybe not to block a shot or take a charge, but know where to affect the shot of, you know, an opposing big or even an opposing point guard. And they have missed that specifically in the Memphis game because Job Morant was getting to the cup at will and in the Bucks game because Giannis was going crazy and Bobby Portis looked like prime Hakeem Olajuwon with a three-point shot. That, it, that that game from the Warriors was un, very unacceptable. And again, I understand the Draymond Green being out, but Draymond Green was it is much of an impact that Draymond Green makes. I don't think he was making up forty points. 
I really don't. I feel like they it would have been a lot closer of a game, but I don't think it would have been enough for the Warriors to win against the Bucks last night. The Bucks a a could not miss from three to save their life. They just couldn't miss in general. But it it doesn't help that zero zero bodies cared last night. It was ridiculous, bro. It really was ridiculous. And I don't want to harp on it too much because at, at the end of the day, they're still the second best team in the league currently. You know, at the end of the day, they'll they'll be a top seed in the playoffs and they'll probably have a deep playoff run. But last night just looked terrible. It looked they looked sluggish. They looked off. They looked like a team that just got the break that like this guy ran out the gym by Memphis and a team that was, you know, for the longest was being, you know, he were being controlled by Cleveland. That's what that that's what that Warriors team looked. That was that that's what that team looked like last night. But again, don't want to harp on it too much because at the end of the day, they're still a really good team, and I I absolutely love this team when they're on. This is one of my favorite teams to watch in the league for obvious reasons. Steph Curry's flashy, Clay's flashy. We Gary Payton second, he gets down with the dirty work. You know, Wiggins has been having the most not the best season, but the most efficient season of his career. Again, obviously Draymond Green is probably the lead candidate for the Player of the Year. Kevon Looney's still the big body paint protector. Obviously, the bench, Nemanja Bielitsa, I still love, even though he's been kind of off the last few games. I still love Nemanja Bielitsa. Obviously, Damian Lee is awesome. You know, Jordan Poole, obviously, obviously, he should be a candidate for most improved player, to be honest. Maybe even six men of the year now that Clay's coming back. The team looks nice, but last night, they just, they, they they looked sluggish. Next. From January 14th until, what, February, I think, 18th, I think it's the trade deadline, something like something along those lines. It is officially trade season. You'll hear a lot of rumors of your favorite team potentially looking for somebody or potentially dumping somebody off. My team has been in the news for the last couple of days. I'm going to have to have a conversation with the Detroit Pistons, bro. The Bow Bowl situation, I totally understand. If he failed a physical and you saw something wrong with what whatever was going on in his system, I absolutely appreciate that they brought it forward and not just you know, tried to hide it from the media. Or they made it public that Bobo's injury—he has an injury. Whatever injury it is, he has an injury that could affect his season and maybe even his career. Because chance, if it's like a lower body injury. And Bobo being a 7-2 twig, that's not good. But the Cam Reddish situation, of course, it came out yesterday. I think it was with the Lakers, the Spurs, the Pistons, and they were maybe might be one other team. I think it was Dallas, maybe. One one other team came out. They came out. I think it was it might have been Wolves that reported. I don't remember. That Cam Reddish, there were a few other teams that had made that made a, a push to get Cam Reddish. The other two teams I understand because either A, they don't have the sufficient picks, or B, they don't have the sufficient salary, or maybe not even salary, but like just the sufficient value of players on their roster to match Cam Reddish. Detroit has both. Can we talk about all right? I really want, and again, it's kind of obvious what the the offer was, but I really want to know what the exact offer 
Detroit gave Atlanta for Cam Reddish. If the if the I'm sorry if the Hawks the Hawks could accept a trade of Cam Reddish, Solomon Hill, and a second round pick for was it Kevin Knox and a Hornet? I believe it was a Hornets first round pick. Which granted in this draft class it could be deep because you know this this class is pretty deep. It could still be a decent pick. But if we're talking about Paul George 2.0 with twists, this Cam Reddish I think has the ability to be a Paul George level talent, and he's again a Kevin Knox who, all intents and purposes, won't be back in Atlanta next year, and a first round pick that will probably be in the late teens because I feel like the Hornets are a playoff team for a potential all-star in Cam Reddish. Now, I don't know how New York views Cam Reddish. I don't know. I really, really do not know how they view Cam Reddish. I hope they view him as a potential star and he gets the sufficient minutes to back that up. This is a Tom Thibodeau-led team, so I have all the reason in the world to doubt that. But Detroit, we're back on the Pistons. So Josh Jackson in a top 10 protected first round pick wouldn't have been enough. As much as I I do love Josh Josh Jackson, I don't want it to be a situation where I want Josh Jackson out. I actually like Josh Jackson in Detroit. That's just an example that I had. Josh Jackson in a first round pick wouldn't have been enough for Atlanta. For Cam Reddish, Solomon Hill in a second round pick. That y'all are, are you sure that that's not enough? Or if it's maybe a lottery protect, protected in 2023, or shoot, maybe even top five protected. If you want to, if you want to go balls to the wall, top five protected in Josh Jackson for Cam Reddish. I'm, I guarantee you, Atlanta probably would have accepted that trade. If we got Kevin Knox in a first round pick, or sorry, they got Kevin Knox in a first round pick, we could have given up. Josh Jackson in a protected first round pick. Because let's keep it a buck. Josh Jackson is better than, than Kevin Knox right now. I know he's on a bad team, so it really doesn't mean nothing. But Josh Jackson's had a really decent season. It's had two really de- decent seasons back to back. He's, I assume now, is in his right mind. He's, you know, gotten older. He's matured. He's in a situation in Detroit where he's, he's, being, ta- he's being taken care of. Let's be honest. He, Detroit is actually taking care of Josh Jackson. But. I think even he can do this on a you know on a halfway decent team in Atlanta. I know the Atlanta's actually been pretty under un, has underperformed to the gills this year, but I think they can catch a hot streak and potentially land a playoff spot. But come on, it it, it irks me because I know Detroit is fishing for young talent that can prove themselves. They've done it with Josh Jackson. They did it in the draft with Sadiq Bay. Frank Jackson was sent to the waters before he got a, a shot in Detroit, and I was having a really good season. Saban Lee has been under the radar. Why not ship one of those guys, one of those four I just named, again, Josh Jackson, and you could have got a potential all-star to pair with your already potential all-star in uh, Kate Cunningham. Somebody who I value highly in Killian Hayes. I know a lot of people have already written him off as a bust 60 games into his career. That is completely asinine to me. 
Zay Stewart, who I think is, you know, while not all-star potential, I still think he has, he can be a, a quality role player, and that's great to get from the 17th, 16th, 17th pick of the draft, a quality role player. Jeremy Grant is still solid. Whatever we get back for him, I'm, I assume it'll be a decent package, especially if it's, shoot, if it's Chicago, we can get uh, Patrick Williams? A Patrick Williams, maybe Derek Jones Jr. in a second? I will absolutely... For a Jeremy Grant who won't be the Jeremy Grant on the Chicago Bulls, I absolutely take that. It it just blows my mind for a team that's rebuilding. We wouldn't be able to we again like for you know giving up a first round pick is very tentative, especially if you're a team that's already losing. You don't know what Kate Cunningham might do in two years. You might not even know what Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, Zay Stewart, you know. Saving Lee, et cetera, et cetera, would be doing in two years, whether they're still on the roster or maybe they're injured or sick or, you know, maybe aren't frustrated with the organization. I completely understand that. If we're in 2024 and still losing, it would frustrate me too. But if you want to push for a potential playoff spot two, three years down the line with the, all the great young talent you have on the books right now, why not push for more young talent? Obviously, Cam Reddish is, what, 20 years old, 20, 21 years old. Josh Jackson, I believe, is 25. He's basically hit his ceiling, in my opinion, Josh Jackson has. And, that, and I don't want to say, you know, Josh Jackson's never going to be good. Uh, Josh Jackson could just as easily go to a team like the Kings or whatever and become a star out of nowhere. Who, who knows? Literally, who knows? But Cam Reddish, you just see clear as day that he has all the potential in the world. And it doesn't surprise me, but it, it just it disappoints me that Detroit wouldn't want to even take a flyer, just a, a flyer on Cam Reddish. So enough about my Detroit Pistons rant. Teams that are contenders. Teams that are bottom feeders. There will be a lot of those teams talking to each other. You'll probably see the Lakers talk to the Orlando Magic. You'll probably see the Miami Heat talk to the Detroit Pistons. You'll probably see, uh, shoot, uh, you'll probably see the Phoenix Suns talk to the Houston Rockets. And maybe not, but you will see a lot of those teams, those bottom feeder teams, talking to contenders. Is like, hey, you going to got a first round pick? Hey, you had a quality veteran on your team? Boom, let's swap those. A lot of that's going to be going on and going on this this season. So a few teams, a few bottom feeder teams that I have, quality role players on those uh, quality veteran role players on those bottom feeder teams that don't really mean anything. Who those contenders might be looking for? So basically, what I meant by bottom feeder teams is basically bottom three in the East and the West. I kind of straight away from Atlanta because a I still think Atlanta can get hot and make a playoff run. And B, I could totally see, you know, even Atlanta just wanting to roll with this roster for the rest of the season. Even if they're not good, I doubt they ship Gorgie Jane to, like, the Lakers or something. Like, I I, I do see the, them still valuing Gorgie Jane as a quality backup big for uh, Capella. So, for me, the first, th- the first one for me, of course, Detroit, because – Obviously, please, and this is for my sake. This isn't even for any contender's sake. This is for my sake. 
And it's contend to take Corey Joseph. The Lakers are desperately looking for a backup point guard now that Rondo's going. Corey Joseph can shoot. I guess you can say he run he can run an offense. Technically, he can run an offense. I will take Taylor Horton Tucker in the second round pick, to be honest with you. Even in Detroit, I doubt that they will only give up Taylor Horton in a pick. Maybe just Taylor Horton, maybe just a pick. It doesn't really matter. Corey Joseph, he I think he can go to the Lakers and be a quality backup point guard there. He, like I said, again, somebody that can shoot, the Lakers need that. Somebody that can play make when LeBron's not on the floor, the Lakers need that. And somebody who's very underrated on the defensive end. Again, something the Lakers desperately need. The Lakers could just as easily use a Corey Joseph and probably don't have to run Austin Reeves as a backup point guard, even though he's, while he's kind of a guard, he's more two guard that can shoot than point guard who's an elite playmaker. Next team on my list, we have the Orlando Magic. And Orlando has a couple of play, have a couple of players. You know, whether salary will match or not. They have a couple of players that contenders are really looking for because they shoot and they well, one of them can still really good, defend really well. Terrence Ross is not necessarily a defender, but it's an excellent scorer, especially if you give him the bench minutes. And Gary Harris, who, like I said, just 3 and D wing. The, again, the Lakers probably won't match it, but who said, who says that maybe, like, a team, honestly, genuinely don't know who would take a Gary Harris $20 million contract, but Terrence Ross at about $13 million, a lot of teams would be looking to match that. I can see potentially Milwaukee going after him if, you know, Something becomes available. Who knows? Maybe they want to unload Brook Lopez. I don't. I don't know. I doubt they want to unload Brook Lopez. But like I said, the, the salary plus injuries might cause Brook Lopez to be on the market. I, I really like the Clippers. Again, they're not a contender, but a team that could you know could use some firepower. Maybe unload an un, uh, Eric Bledsoe as an expiring deal. The, the Magic can waive Bledsoe. He can sign for a minimum. I can see potentially a team like Phoenix wanting Terrence Ross. Again, I don't know how money matches up because they're not trading Paul Booker and Aiton. They're not trading Crowder, not trading Bridges, and nobody else matches the salary. So I still want to, I still don't understand, I don't understand necessarily what contender, maybe Chicago. Maybe Chicago thinks Terrence Ross could be the guy with Alex Caruso off the bench and giving them that spark plug. Maybe Derek, and they, maybe they give the Jeremy Grant package slightly less, but some Jeremy Grant package for Terrence Ross. Who knows? That, that might be a team to look out for, for either Terrence Ross or, like I mentioned earlier, Corey Joseph maybe as a backup point guard, although Alex Caruso is more than fine as a backup point guard on this Bulls team. Speaking of backup point guards, next, the Houston Rockets. DJ Augustine, I think he still has a little bit left in the tank. I think obviously he's past his prime. He's, you know, he's not with Chicago, Detroit, DJ Augustine anymore, or even uh, Charlotte, DJ Augustine. But he still has more than enough contri- uh, uh, contributions left for a contender. And I don't think he makes that much. I do think he is making a minimum, so it would be like really easy to trade for. 
DJ Augustine, I think, still has a, more than enough left in the tank if Houston wants to unload him. Or maybe just use him as a mentor for a Jalen Green, a KPJ, Josh Christopher, you name it. Our money works. Uh, Indiana Pacers. Miles Turner. Really, anybody on the Pacers. Malcolm Brogdon is not tradable this year, unfortunately. Sabonis, I think, is available, but I just don't think a team will just be looking to add Sabonis into their mix. This season, I think that's more of an off-season move, potentially draft night. Miles Turner, I think, could easily be moved this year. And it's a team like, and I know this has been a rumor for, I think, five years at this point. If the Celtics become available, I think that Al Horford would be more than enough, to be honest with you. I don't think, obviously, Robert Williams, again, can't be traded because he just got extended extended in the offseason. Plus, isn't like I said, the money won't translate until next season. And plus, I just don't see anybody else being traded. Like, I don't see Schroeder being moved. Obviously, Marcus Smart won't be moved. Obviously, the big two won't be moved. So, they'll probably, Josh Richardson, maybe. I don't think he was extended this all. I think it was last season he got an uh, extension. So, I think he would be available this offseason. I wouldn't hate, you know, a Josh Richardson, maybe throw in a couple picks. I think Boston still has all their picks because I don't think they they haven't traded any of the picks with the, like, you know, in any of the trades they've made. So I could totally, I could see them potentially going after Miles Turner. Again, I don't know how much of a, of a upgrade it would be for a Celtics team that's almost desperate. It's They're desperate for something. Lord knows what it is. It's definitely playmaking, but there's a few more things that they could totally look at. Probably more defense, maybe more rebounding. Even though, you know, Al Horford and Robert Williams are more than enough for when it comes to rebounding, they still probably need more, you know, a, a bigger piece on the wing. I think would be a good help, especially if it's coming if he's coming off the bench. Juancho Hernan Gomez ain't cutting it, and if Josh Richardson ain't cutting it either. So it would probably be one one of those two being moved for a wing. And and next, I really had to dig for the other Western Conference teams. I'm not gonna lie to you. OKC and San Antonio both have so well. OKC and San Antonio are obviously two completely different situations because OKC they have literally one veteran, one veteran. I think a team would want Derek Favors, and the only team I think really actually genuinely use Derek Favors right now with the Lakers because they don't have single viable paint protector right now. LeBron's playing center. Obviously, the two big men they have are immobile. We knew this in August. Apparently, they didn't. Anthony Davis, I don't think, would solve that problem 100%. That's where Derek Favors comes in. While AD is a rim, a rim protector, Derek Favors, I think, could be uh, considered a paint protector. He is a big body. He won't be, you know, allowing too many points in the paint like an Anthony Davis would or even LeBron playing center. I see this being an A-plus move for, the, for a team like the Lakers going after Derek Favors. Uh, Mike Muscala is also on this list. Don't know what team could use Mike Muscala as a quote-unquote upgrade. Maybe Utah for shooting out the big man off out of the big man spot, but outside of that, don't really have a whole lot of of necessary movement 
involved with Mike uh, Mike Muscala. San Antonio, I had Doug McDermott. Obviously, salaries won't be able to match up, especially for a a value level of Doug McDermott, which he's not really a trade suitor because for some reason the Spurs have one foot in still on the Popovich way of building now and one foot into the rebuilding for the future with all the long athletic wings that they have on the team. And the final story, not really a major story, but just, you know, so, some heartwarming stories for me. Um, some G League call-ups. Utah gave uh, Zillin Cheatham, Cheatham a 10-day contract. I do appreciate it. He's going to be, an, again, another long athletic wing for the Utah Jazz. Something that they need, out of the, especially coming off the bench, even if he's not going to play all that much, I still think he can more than contribute on the team. The Bucks calling up Linda Wigginton. Linda, uh, Linda Wigginton has actually been hooping, hooping this season, bro. Energy League. He has been killing it this year. And honestly, been it's I'm honestly surprised that it took this long for a a call up for uh, Linda Wigginton. He's only on the two way contract. He's like I said, he's he can be available maximum fifty games. Obviously, the Bucks have already played fifty plus or more than forty. So he he could basically be available for every single game for the season, and honestly, should be if you know you got guys out with either COVID injuries or whatever. Linda Wigginton, I think he can be a, a solid. Replacement pickup for the Milwaukee Bucks. One, again, won't matter because it's the Orlando Magic, but just personal, Admiral Schofield getting a, a two-way contract. He and the boys got called up early in the season from Lakeland to Orlando. They had a, a pretty decent stretch, uh, you know, inconsistent playing time, but more than more than held their own in the NBA. And proud of uh, proud of, of Admiral Schofield getting the call-up. And finally, the Golden State Warriors, of course, giving Quinary uh, Weatherspoon a two-way contract. Shot of Quinn, again, won't get playing time because his team is so deep. But the Warriors are, like I said, this is a this quality pickup. If, you know, say Gary Payton second goes out or if Damian Lee is out long term or Jordan Poole may have a sprained ankle, this is a decent little pickup for them. Again, can score more than can hold his own on a defensive end. I think he could be another Gary Payton, the second type fine for them, but maybe a little bit of a shot creator. I do see Quin, uh, Quinary getting some more uh, playing time as the Warriors around Game Seventy ish clinch, you know, a topper, a top spot in the West, one or, or two if they want to fight for the first seed. Who knows? I do appreciate them going after Quinary Weatherspoon, though. I think that's we can call that a we can call that an episode. Really, like I said, didn't have a whole lot to talk about, but I do appreciate nonetheless that we get you know we got. We packed a lot into a few, a little, a little under twenty-seven minutes of the podcast. Of course, we got Clay coming back. We had, you know, trades that may or may not happen. Uh, trades that I don't think will happen. Ben Simmons obviously won't be traded in the next month. Uh, no superstars will be traded. A lot of role players, but no, like you won't find a Ben Simmons trade out there. You won't find a Kyrie, James Harden, whatever trade out there. You won't find a. a a cat getting traded. Dame's not going to get traded. You like you won't find those trades out there. But expect the Terrence Rosses, the Gary Harris, the Miles Turners, maybe like Indiana fire sale. Maybe a Corey Joseph gets moved. A Doug McDermott potentially getting moved. Derek Favors potentially getting moved. Like I said, I, you can expect that level of talent getting moved this this come in the next month or so. And I will absolutely. 
be uh, taking any questions, taking any DMs, taking any, you know, tweets at me. Who knows? I just want, you know, I want to engage. Is we go through the craziest part of the of the NBA season, trade season. So until next time, I love you. You love me. Let's love each other. Goodbye.